0: Today, we're going to conclude the sermon series, The Jesus Story. Now, in case you're wondering, um, we're never going to stop The Jesus Story. We're going to just change graphics for next week, amen, because this is always about Jesus. Can can we agree on that? And so tomorrow or next week when you come back, um, I don't want you to be confused because you're going to be saying, well, I thought we were done with Jesus. We're never done with Jesus, Jesus is what we preach all day, every day at Foundation, and that's what it's about. We just changed the graphic. And, uh, and, and so I do want to encourage you. I do want to have you come back next week. Pastor Melissa and I have a fabulous message already in the works. We're, we're cooking it up. It's about love. It's about relationship, not just from a married standpoint, from all standpoints of relationship. And that's why it's going to be heavy Jesus. But today I want to ask you, what do you love about Jesus? What do you love about Jesus? Because I want to talk to you about what I love about Jesus and what Jesus means. And, 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 you know, it's interesting because I had to really work on this message to pare it down to, uh, to a 30-minute slot. Because when you start talking about someone you truly love passionately, you, you know, you can talk for days. How many of you remember when you first fell in love and you started telling your family or your friends about your, your significant one and, and they got bored because you just wouldn't shut up? I can remember telling my kid, my, not my kids, my, my kid brothers, I, I'm the oldest, my brothers about my wife, Melissa, and they'd be like, yeah, 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 we already know. And I hope it's not, yeah, 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 we already know because I hope you love him too. I hope you love him too. But what I love about Jesus, first of all, I want to I explain a couple of things. That when you're looking at Jesus, when you're reading through his words, when you're considering what he did, I want you to know you're watching, you're watching, you're looking at love in action. You're always looking at love in action because the Bible says that God is Love. The Bible says that Jesus is God, and so if Jesus is God and God is love, then the way that works logically is Jesus equals God equals love. So Jesus is love, and whenever you see him, you're seeing the perfect personification, and you're seeing the perfect reflection, you're seeing the the embodiment of what love looks like. And so I want to start off with the first word, and that is Patient. Love is patient. Now, think about this. Isn't that the way God dis, uh, uh, defines love in the book of First? I mean, yeah, in the book of First Corinthians, chapters thirteen, he says, he says, love is patient and love is kind. So my first two are patient and kindness. He's very patient. And he's very very kind. And in case you're wondering if this is going to be like a sickly sweet message of Jesus, I, you got something coming. Because what I love about Jesus is his profound texture of personality. He has so much going on. It's just not these sickly sweet characteristics that you think, oh, I could never be like that. It's I could never be as beautiful in terms of being kind, but yet zealous. In terms of being patient, but yet fiercely intense brutally truthful, but yet always with love. And so as we go through this, I just want you to get a fresh new appreciation for how awesome Jesus is. Jesus is patient. We see this in Mark chapter nine, verses 16 through 19, and you see that Jesus walks into an argument. He's coming back, him and a few disciples, and there's the rest of the disciples in his fierce argument with religious leaders, and the people of the town are mixed up. And so Jesus asks, what are you arguing about? And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to your disciples. He's been suffering. What has he been suffering with? He's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes very rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. And so this sparked a a debate when the religious leaders got involved. It, It created a big uproar, a hoopla. Jesus walks into this. And he says, what's going on? So the man that kind of started the whole thing with the, with, with the young man that needed to be healed starts to explain the situation. And Jesus, watch his response. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. You say, pastor, that's the opposite of patience. No, no, no. I've seen impatience. I've experienced it. I've been impatient anyone no this is absolute patience when you have the king of all glory sitting with a group of people like us that just cannot get it and Jesus is going how long will I be with you guys I'm about to be crucified guys you guys got to get this you got to get that nothing is impossible for the kingdom of God. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. He goes, "You know what? You got to stop being unbelieving. It just takes the seed of a it just takes the faith of a mustard seed. Bring me the boy. Bring me the boy and he heals him. He heals him in an instant. And so I see Jesus' beautiful warm personality coming through this. He's saying, "How long shall I stay with you guys?" You know, we don't have all day. This this thing is coming to a close and you're going to have to walk in real faith. You're going to have to walk in real faith. Stay with me. I'm going to go to John 14, 8 through 9. 8 through 9. Talking about patience. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Do you get the sense that he is, he's saying to Philip, Philip, man, I have loved you and been with you and walked with you, and yet you still don't know me. He says, even even though I've been around you so long, you still don't understand. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So patient here. How about what Peter says about the Lord and his patience? Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. As some people think he is. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So when you think he's being slow or he's just being lax or somehow he's just taking a sweet time, he's being patient because ultimately that's why he came, that he might be patient. And you see that over and over and over. And, and I particularly understand this because I was raised by a man who wasn't very patient. Now, my dad has become more patient as I am becoming more patient. And so early on, I came, to, I, big, I came by my impatience very honestly. My dad wasn't very patient. I can remember he, him when he would get upset, he would always revert to Spanish. Always. Yeah. And he'd be like, Ay Dios mío, ¿por qué no me pongan atención? ¿Cuántas veces tengo que decir la misma cosa? What is he saying? He's saying, I don't know. Sometimes I didn't know, but you figure out real quick by his face. He was not happy. How many times do I have to tell you the same old thing? Pay attention, doggone kids. Get in here. Do this, do that. We'll tell you a little bit more about how he encouraged us a little bit later. But I know that it's easy to be impatient when I read Jesus' words. As a beautiful, beautiful king of glory, they ring of patience to me. How about kindness? In John chapter 8, in we're gonna read a lot of the New Testament. So I need you to listen fast. Listen really fast. Some of y'all are going, how do you listen fast? This is how you listen fast. Amen, pastor, preach it. Yes, absolutely, got it. Keep it going, keep it going. When you sit there, that's a pastor's clue for you. He needs more, they need more. I gotta keep pouring it on. We could easily be here till like 5.30. I'm just saying, there's nothing happening at 5.30 today, is there? No, no, nothing important for Texans, right? Nothing important for cowboys, (laughs) nothing, I'm I'm just saying, let's keep going. Uh, John chapter eight, one of my favorite stories, John chapter eight, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. But at dawn, he appeared again, in the temple courts. Now I wanna explain something to you. The Mount of Olives is right next to the Temple Mount. And I've shared this with you before but in case you're new here, um, the mountains, they call these mountains, don't think mountains. In Jerusalem, they're more like Central Texas hills. You know, you have the limestone hills. That's almost exactly the way it looks in Jerusalem except they have taller trees. We have these little shrub trees sometimes in Central Texas. They have tall uh, cedar trees. That are that, that look more like pine trees, either way, you have these hills, and so the Mount of Olives is where Jesus, we heard this last week. it was his custom to go there to pray. From the Mount of Olives, you can see the Temple Mount. You just go down these one of these little uh, uh, valleys and you go over to the Temple Mount. So he spent some time on the Mount of Olives, then he went over to the temple. This takes place. In the temple. Now, I want you to think about how significant this is. This is where you go to experience God's love and forgiveness and goodness. And think about what's about to unfold in the temple. And that's why Jesus is there to show kindness because the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, how many of you are going, what? How do you catch someone in adultery? How does it even begin to happen? Do you go, oh, there's one. She's got that walk. She's got that talk. She's got that look. She's about to go commit adultery. And then you just watch her. See that squeaking? And you just watch her. And then she goes into her house. And then you go, uh-huh, it's happening. But how do I find out? So you go around to the window and you start peeping. How about thou shalt not be a peeping Tom? (laughs) Right? How do you... Catch someone! I want you to think about this because first of all, it's really hard from what I know now that I'm grown up a little bit and I'm reading this as a full grown man with family of my own. It's hard to commit adultery by yourself. It takes two to tangle the way I learned it. So where's the man? How'd they catch her? No, this is a setup. That's what that is. One of them is the man. One of them set it up. That's right. One of them said, "You know what? There's a woman I could commit adultery with, and then we'll get her and stone her." That's right. well, well, what's does this smell fishy to you? Does this smell bad? Does this something's going on here? And so Jesus, just listening to them, and he says, "You're forgetting something because the prophets, the law actually says stone both of them. Which one of you do we need to stone to? But instead, he doesn't argue that with him. He just, the Bible says, he bends down. Look, look, he bends down and starts to write something. Now, pastors have preached messages, you know, kind of trying to figure out what he wrote. I have no idea. Because Jesus is just too awesome for me to figure that out. But whatever it was, I would have loved to have seen it. Because he just wrote nice and patient and kindly. He just wrote. Something, and one by one, they dropped their rocks, and there the rocks stood as tiny tombstones declaring to everyone that their self-righteousness will ultimately die, just, oh And so you have, one by one, they leave. Now watch this with me. There, At the end of this scene, it's Jesus and the woman. Everyone else is gone. Can I tell you, at the end of your scene, my scene, everyone's scene, it will be you and Jesus face-to-face, face-to-face. It won't be anybody else. It'll be you and your perfect judge and your maker. And he was there. And I can almost imagine, he says, this is the way I want you to understand life. It's between me and you. And I did not come here to condemn you. Where are your accusers? They're gone. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can I tell you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him as a perfect ransom. Can I tell you what? Jesus was showing in living color what that verse was all about. I came to save, to seek those that were lost, to seek and to save those that were lost. And if you're lost, find Jesus' kindness. He was kind to her that day. Very kind. How about generous? Jesus was generous. I love this about Jesus. I want you to consider his very first miracle. It's found in John chapter two, verse three. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, I don't know if I like the way he said that. How about this? God showed me something when I had my own son and... and uh, they he and his mother have this special thing something that the girls don't have and she can hug on him and he hugs on her and they can play around and they they drink tea sometimes together and, and my son started doing this he would come in and go woman where is my tea <laughs> now imagine you go it's kind of funny because he was younger at the time and skinnier. He's so skinny, you know? And he's got this bobble head look at this thing going on and the big feet and the big hands because he's growing into his body. He's like a big puppy. And he goes, woman, where is my tea? And my, his wife would be like, I mean, my, my wife would be like, what? And I'd go, wait, I don't know if I like this. But then I started realizing it's something playful. And, and, and I kind of see Jesus' words now through his playful personality I, I kind of see Jesus going woman read him this way with me he's like woman why do you involve me I'm just here to dance <laughs> you know that's how we used to show up to weddings man in, in the in Hispanic neighborhood you send out one invitation you get 15 Mexicans with it <laughs> right am I right and they start trying to involve you like I'm just here to dance I'm just here to have a good time Jesus is like woman why why are you involving me and then watch what he says next he says my hour has not yet come mom you don't understand these things I have a heavenly father he decides when all this takes place you're gonna put me out here like this come on You know what I love about the heavenly father? The heavenly father says, mama's in charge. Honor your father and your mother. That's according to my word. Mama says it's time. Go, go. Some of you go, I don't know if I like that because mama says a lot of things, (laughs) right? But I think God is saying to, to, to us, hey, I value this. Your mama needs you. It's time. So Jesus does this. Watch this. He says, I love what the mother, I love what mama says. Mama says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Jesus is protesting and mama says, I'm not gonna argue with you, do it. And so the servants come up, what he wants us to do? There's six stone jars used for ceremonial washing. We could preach an entire message just on that, but we gotta keep going because we've got so many more to go to. Jesus has them fill them to the rim, to the brim, and they hold about 30 gallons of water. He says, now I want you to take some, take it to the master of the banquet. The master of the banquet says, this is the most exquisite wine. Now think about how generous Jesus is. He doesn't just give them wine, he gives them the best. He doesn't just give them enough. Do you know how generous this was? This would have embarrassed the family something terrible. That family would have been embarrassed like no one's business to have run out in such an important occasion. And Jesus says, I won't put that on them. I'll provide. I won't just provide something. I'll provide the best. I won't just provide enough. I'll provide almost a 1,000 bottles of wine. How many gallons of wine did he provide? 30 times six is what? 180 gallons of wine. You go, oh my goodness, they're about to have a party. <laughs> Can I tell you, when Jesus comes into your life, he goes above and beyond whatever you could hope for, a dream of, or imagine. The way the prophet Jeremiah puts it is this. He knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and he doesn't just bring you enough. He wants to bless you generously. Now, I want you to think about one more thing when it comes to generosity. This was the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and from that moment on, it launched him into a time where he would would end up becoming so pressed for every waking moment. Think about this. From that moment on to the day he was crucified, in the morning he was ministering, in the noontime he was ministering, in the evening time he was ministering, late at night they would wake him up, early in the morning while he was having breakfast he would be interrupted, in the town square, out in the wilderness, while he is mourning his best friend's Funeral, uh, uh, death or his cousin's death, he is interrupted to minister. He needed to heal people. He needed to, to, to uh, uh, give the blind back their sight. In every waking moment of his life, he didn't have any minute of rest. As a matter of fact, when he would rest, he would be woken up. We need, to, we need you to minister again. He got so exhausted that he fell asleep in a ship on a boat, where it was being tossed in turn, and the disciples, who were fishermen, feared for their lives. And he was so exhausted, he was asleep, completely asleep. Why? Because he generously gave and gave and gave till he had nothing left to give, and they took it all when they nailed him to a cross, and he willingly gave it, because he loves you. That's the generosity of your king. That's the generosity of Jesus Christ. Not only was he generous, he was zealous and intense. he go, oh, zealous. Yeah, the Bible says when he was 12 years old, he was left by accident. He was left in Jerusalem, and when his parents came for him, you know where they found him? In the temple. And this is what he said to them. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He knew exactly what he was put here on earth to do, and he was zealous for it. He was zealous for it. You say, well, show me something else. How about to begin his ministry, and again, to finish his ministry, he had a similar situation. Both took place in the temple. It was around around the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And others were sitting behind tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them out of the temple. Both sheep and cattle, he scattered, and coins of money changers. uh, Excuse me. He scattered... The coins of the money changers and overthrew their tables. So I want you to picture this with me for a second. He walks into his father's house. Now I need you to understand something with me for a second because the Old Testament talks more about the temple and the tabernacle than, it, than the Bible does about any other subject. More time is dedicated to these, these two things because these two things point to Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ, what he would come to do and how he would, what? Create a temple within us and ultimately fill that temple with his presence inside of you. And so he walks into the temple and all of a sudden, this is his father's house. He sees all of these things happening. It's all an indication of merchandising. Merchandising is when you take something that's not yours and use it in a wrong way to benefit yourself. Remember we talked about Satan himself was guilty of merchandising. He took the worship that was meant for God, he took it, used it in a wrong way to benefit himself. He took it for himself and God said no, I will not share my worship with you. You have here the same thing going on in God's house. They're taking what was meant for God using it in a wrong way for themselves. So Jesus comes in here, and he is hot. He is zealous. He is intense, fiercely intense to take care of this problem. But I want you to think about what the Bible says. He took the time, because while he was intense, he was perfectly under control, so much under control that he sat down, he took some cords, he made a whip, oh yeah, this will work just fine. This will work just fine. Then it was game on in he wrecked shop. What do you mean by he wrecked shop? He started, I mean, think about this. How do you get a majority that's doing wrong to do right so quickly? He went in there with fierce intention. See, some of us don't always understand it, but but I understand this because talking about my dad and and his uh his impatience, or though I thought it was impatience, maybe it was zeal and uh, and intensity. He wanted his sons to grow up a certain way, and so he would take his little leather cord and he would encourage us to go in the right direction. How many of us know what I'm talking about? He would say, go get the belt. And I'd go get my mama's smallest, thinnest, decorative belt. And he goes, no, no, no worries. I got one. He'd throw that one down and he'd take his own. And I kid you not, he was a Jedi at getting the belt. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I need two hands. He could do it one hand. And he would be like, Luke, I am your father. You know what I mean? It was amazing. He could just be like, whoosh, and the belt was there. I kid you not, we, he would be preaching, and we'd be acting up, and he would just go like that. You know what that meant? Vas a ver, chiquito. I mean, you're going to see, little man, when you get home. And he would just touch his belt, just like that, and we'd be looking. And I'd go... It was Aaron, and Aaron points to Isaac, and Isaac goes, oh, "No, it wasn't. It was them!" and blow it up for all of us, right? But, but, but this is what I I I never understood because nowadays people don't 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 spank kids. Maybe that's why we have problems. There you go. I thought we were talking about Jesus, but now I'm going to talk a little bit about and people. Oh no, I use psychology. Oh my. how about using the Proverbs from the wisest man to ever walk the earth besides Jesus Christ? Where do you think that wisdom came from? He said, you spoil it, you, you spare the rod, you hate your child. That's, I'm combining them here because he says, a man who doesn't spank his children hates their, his children. So my dad loved me, something fierce. <laughs> he loved me. And he would, and, and you know, nowadays you're like, well, I gave my son a lick. What? Man, that's a warm-up. It, I can remember my, 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 my brother was a high kicker. He would kick so high, and I'm like, man, stop making crazy. You know, just, just sit there, take it. You know, and, and, I, and Keith, he would grab me like this. He'd be like, and he goes, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I, said, I doubt that. I doubt that. But then, Blake, check this out. Nowadays, you get one, two, three. Back then, it was like he would say something to you and he would spank you for every syllable. Didn't I tell you not to ever do that again? I was like, oh my gosh. It was, some of you all are going, what in the world? We were talking about Jesus. Now I'm getting spanked. These kids are going, I'm never coming back here again. It's the good old days. The good old days. What I'm trying to tell you is, he was completely under control, even though he was intense. Who your father? No, Jesus. Jesus. Listen to verse 16. To those who sold doves, he said, "Get out of here." Everyone else used the whip, overturned tables. It was chaos. But when he came to those selling doves, he said, please get out. Maybe it's because the doves represented the Holy Spirit. But I think it's to show us that you can be intense and you can be zealous, even as my father was, but you're completely under control and says, son, I love you. And I spank you not out of anger, I spank you because I love you and I care for you. I love Jesus' intent intense, fiery, intense love. How about him being compassionate? The Bible says that he was moved with compassion when he healed the leper. He was moved with compassion when he raised Lazarus from the dead. The Bible says that He saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep not having a shepherd. This is an indication of Jesus being at a high point overlooking his ministry area. And as he sees the people broken and hurt, he is moved with compassion as he goes and ministers. And he also says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. But this is a picture of what he saw from heaven. As he looked down on earth, he was moved with compassion. He came down to the point that he gave so generously and he hung on a cross for you and for me. Compassion. How about truthful? Truthful. The Bible says that he was extremely truthful. Think about with the centurion when he said, I haven't found faith like this anywhere in Israel. I am marveled right now that that there would be such faith from a Roman. How about truthful and yet loving when he told the Samaritan woman? No, you're right. You're not married. In fact, you've had several men, and the one you're shacking up with now is not your husband. How about truthful when he he told the leper that he would heal him and then just heal him but touched him? True compassion. How about when he talked to Mary and Martha? He's in their house. And they're fixing him dinner. And one of the sisters, the younger one, is at his feet, will not help her older sister. And the older sister finally has enough. and goes, I've been doing all the work. Tell little sister. And Jesus goes, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose her. Mary is doing right. Martha, consider, I can feed you like that. I fed 5,000. Come sit down and listen to what I have to say. This is huge because when you're in somebody else's house, how many of you would do like, hey, don't get me involved, and we, we sidestep and we, and we, and we kind of do the whole matrix thing, try to avoid just dealing with the truth? How about the woman caught in adultery or the religious leaders? The reason I'm bringing this up is when you read Jesus' words, some of them are hard to believe he said. Because we're so used to thinking that he was sickly sweet and everything was always easy. It wasn't even easy. He spoke the truth. And in this politically correct society, maybe we need to get back to what Jesus did. He spoke truth. He spoke truth. He wasn't worried about it. Nowadays, we're like, we will avoid the truth at all costs. Why? Some of you are going, what was that? That was my version of Keanu Reeves' The Matrix. But I'm out of shape and I'm liable to fall back if I go any further back. No, no, no. This is what I want you to understand. We avoid the truth. On Facebook, we don't want to make anybody upset. On Twitter, we don't want to get deplatformed. We don't want to put anything out that would make anyone upset with us. And no one wants to tell the truth. And everybody's sidestepping. Meanwhile, this culture has gone nuts, canceling people and doing all sorts of crazy things. And the last thing we want is to really deal with truth, even when you come to church. Some folks have said, hey, pastor, you just, you're just too truthful for me. I don't like to be challenged that way. Well, I see Jesus challenging people. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees. He says to them, he says, woe to you, Pharisees. I'm going to put the verses up here because we're running a little low on time. I want to be respectful to you and respectful to the next service, but, but just, just peruse through them. He says, you clean the outside of the dish, but you never clean the inside of the dish. The bowl is pristine on the outside. He's talking about their lives. On the outside, you look good, but on the inside, there's greed and malice and envy and anger, and you got all this unforgiveness. Come on, guys. He's saying, come on, guys. How many of you think that would have gotten him defriended? But now, as for what's on the inside, be generous to the poor and you'll start to clean it up. Be generous. Care for people. Listen, he says, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of all of your, you give, you're so meticulous, even the herbs you get, the little bit you get, you give God a tenth. But you forget to truly love. Why don't you do both? That's better. Give God a tenth, but also love people. Be about justice and righteousness and do right. Listen to what else he says. Woe to you Pharisees because you love being respected. You love in the way you dress and you pick the best seats and it's all about you. Listen to what else he says. He says, woe to you Pharisees because you are like unmarked graves. And then I love this because there's always one in the group. One goofball that you're like, come on, how many of you remember playing sports and the coach is getting on you and he's just reading you the right act because y'all lost by like 50 points and he's just getting on and he's telling the offense how pathetic they were. And then somebody from defense, the guy sitting right next to you, you know, the pilot plays uh, uh, right next to you on the line or in, in the, in the uh, linebacker backfield. He goes, he goes uh, are you upset with the defense too? Because it kind of sounds like you are. And you're just like, shut up. Because <laughs> the coach looks over there and goes, you defense. Are you kidding me? You are horrible too. You gave up 50 points. Of course I'm talking to y'all too. That's kind of, and some of you are saying, why are you using so many football analogies? I have no idea. I have no idea. There's just some game that takes place every February or something. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so, Listen to what he says. One of the experts of the law hears him talking to the Pharisees and he says, teacher, when you say these things to them, it kind of sounds like you're insulting us too. He says, okay. Yeah, you too. Look at the way Matthew puts it. Matthew says, you insist on being called rabbi. Why do you want to be a teacher? You're all brothers. Stop being a, thinking of yourself as a teacher and be a student. Then he says, And don't let anyone call you father. You shouldn't call anyone father, but your father in heaven. Hello, hello. Some people find it too easy to call religious leaders fathers. I'm just saying, that's wrong. Jesus's words right there. Now he goes on to say, woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door to the kingdom of heaven and the people's faces and you yourselves don't even want to enter. Woe to you Pharisees and you teachers of the law, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make converts and when you finally make a convert, you make them twice. The son of hell is you. Woe to you Pharisees and teachers of the law, you blind guides, you snakes, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed mausoleum. Uh, What am I trying to say? I lost the word. Tombs, mausoleums. You have all this ornate decoration on the outside, but on the inside there's death and decay. And I love what he says. You tell the people not to swear by the not to swear by the gold in the temple, but it's okay to swear by the temple. I thought this was really funny. He goes, you can swear by the temple, but you can't swear by the gold in the temple. He says, You fools. That's what he says, you fools. Don't you know that the gold in the temple is only valuable because of the temple? That's why he says, don't swear at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so he's teaching him all of these things and you're saying, but that doesn't sound very loving. He's definitely telling the truth, but that doesn't sound very loving. No, this is what you see when you see Jesus. Depends who he's dealing with. When he's dealing with the, the, the woman who's been thrown in the dust and threatened to be stoned and she's completely broken in her heart, he reaches down kindly and says, neither do I condemn you. Receive my love. Go and sin no more. When he he reaches down and embraces the leper who is groveling and saying, I need you, Lord. I'm desperate without you. He lovingly reaches down, takes him, embraces him, and heals him. And it depends who you are. And so if you ever hear a message straight from God's word that's making you feel, ooh, understand that Jesus is hitting you hard enough to make you feel that way because something needs to be broken. See, their hearts are so hard with, these, with this self-righteousness that they, he can't break through to them with the soft words. He has to use a mallet. You remember that message I preached once when I'm like, it's like this hard coconut and you hit it and you hit it and then finally the juice goes everywhere. Okay. That's what he's doing to these Pharisees. He's hitting their hearts as hard as he can. Why? Because he loves them enough. I don't want you to go to hell. And if calling you a snake gets your attention and you know what? It got Nicodemus' attention because Nicodemus came to him and said, Lord, teach me, tell me how. Last but not least, my favorite quality of all, not only that he's truthful, truthful with me when I need to hear it. But he's present. Present. What do I mean by he's present? Pat and I were talking about this one night last week. This is the quality I struggle with the most. I find it very hard to be present. Like live life in the present maybe you're something like me. I, I look back a lot and I think about shoulda, coulda, woulda. And I think about if I only done this or oh, I wonder if someone's mad at me or I wonder if I let somebody down or I wonder if I could only been more this way or if I could have preached it this way. Lord, I can't believe I said that during the message. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I should have used these words instead of those words. Come on, how many of us But this is the interesting thing. You can't live life looking back. Not only can you not live life that way, you can't go back. And those thoughts keep you from being present in the moment. Why? Because you just keep thinking about those thoughts. And as you're thinking about those thoughts, the current moments are flying by. You know what else I get stuck in? Not only do I get stuck in a moment in the past, but I also get stuck in the future. How many of us are always thinking about what's going to come? Like tonight, is the, is the house ready? or the snacks ready? Is this, that, or whatever. I don't know what you're doing, but you're, we're always thinking about something. Oh, the bill's coming to you, or my son's having this problem, or my, 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 my wife is upset because of this. I wonder what I'm going to say. I want, and we're always thinking ahead. So let me finish the sermon this way. You cannot, I cannot, and I never see Jesus living life in any other place than in the moment. That precious, beautiful moment that God gives you as life. And that's why God says, tomorrow's not guaranteed. The next moment is not guaranteed. This is the only one you have. Grab it and live it for all it's worth. The day of salvation is not tomorrow. The day of salvation is today. Forget about your past. I've already forgotten it. I washed it. I plunged it in the deepest sea. I separated it like the east is from the west. Don't live condemned. Live free in this moment. See, fathers, it's, it's possible to be there and to spend time, but to not be present with your children. Mothers, it's possible to be there but to not be present. Husbands, wives, it's possible to be there but to not be present. Being present is completely grateful for the moment you have and completely soaking it in to the point that you know for sure you feel that peace and that joy and that absolute certainty that what you're doing is what you're meant to do and called to do and when you feel that, there's something powerful that happens in your relationships. And that's why Jesus said, die to yourself daily. He was speaking existentially to us that the only thing you truly have to give me is your life in the moment. You can't give me what already happened. You can't give me what's going to happen. You can only give me what you have. That beautiful moment of life that is a gift, give it back. Give it back. And so living present, Jesus is saying, I've learned how to live under complete complete surrender to the father the father says go be with that woman at the well guess what if that was me that woman and if you were that woman you'd be lost because I'd be thinking I got three years to change human history one woman in Samaria is probably not where I'm going to invest my time because I'd probably be thinking things like man I got to get this on the road I already wasted some time yesterday come on uh, last week, I kind of blew it. I hung out at that wedding. Anyone? And I'd be thinking, man, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I gotta... Jesus, just in the moment. God, you said go to Samaria. I'm going to chill at this well and I'm just going to be here. How peaceful is that? I guess that's why Jesus said, look, I'll teach you the secret. Die to yourself. Every moment, die to yourself. <laughs> if it was that easy, I'd just do it, right? <laughs> Increase our faith, Lord. Lord, take my life because I haven't got the strength to give it away. Somebody sang about that someday. Lord, give I give you my life, but help me to give it. Help me to truly give it. So this is our invitation for today. The invitation for today is as I covenant with you, Lord, again, afresh in this moment. Afresh in this moment. But pastor, I already said that prayer once upon a time. Guess what? You get the wonderful privilege of saying it every moment. And today's a fresh moment. Lord, I accept you again. Humbly. I give you my life just like I did the day I accepted you at nine years old when something came over me and I had to go forward in children's church. That same person, that same, that same feeling is what I want in this moment, Lord, because this is all I have to give you and I will gladly give every moment from here to the day you call me home back in Jesus' name. church. Have a great, great week. I love you.